0: John chapter 6. Our text this morning is verses 41 through 46. And you might be asking the question Are we still in John chapter 6? And the simple answer, of course, is yes, which may prompt a second question Why? And I suppose the best answer for that, and that uh, the holidays notwithstanding, That this is a very long chapter, 71 verses, filled with very significant truths concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Truths that he is revealing about himself to his disciples and to his many followers at the time. Truths that proceeded from Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 men and their families with a little boy's lunch. Which would lead also to a discourse and dialogue on Jesus being the bread of life and the bread of God. Now, following that miraculous distribution of the bread and fish from Jesus' hands and by the hands of the faithless disciples to the twelve to fifteen thousand people, they were they were to gather twelve baskets of fragments for three basic reasons. Now we've I'm just going over and reviewing stuff, but I want to stop here because I didn't focus on this at the time, and I, and I want to just lay this truth out before you. But they gathered those twelve baskets of fragments, each basket for each of the disciples, for three basic reasons. The first was to show them that Jesus was truly the Messiah of Israel. Again, I'm talking about his own disciples. But it was to show them that Jesus was truly the Messiah of Israel. Secondly, to remind them that nothing is too hard for their Messiah. But thirdly, it was to teach them that God's gifts are never to be wasted. They gathered the fragments. God's gifts are never to be wasted. That is a truth, I pray, we will learn about the gifts that God gives us as his children, as his disciples, as his servants. So now as we go on, there was an impression made now by this miracle. An impression upon those 5,000 men that they were now ready, after seeing what Jesus had done, they were ready to force Jesus to become their king. This is the king that we need against Rome. But Jesus, perceiving their intentions, foiled the attempt by withdrawing from them. He went away to be alone. And it led his disciples to take a ship to go to the other side of the Galilee to meet him at another place but in boarding that ship they would face a storm on the sea of Galilee a tremendous storm that would bring Jesus actually to their rescue as he walked on the water to them and he brought them safely to shore at this point now which would be about verse 22 Jesus begins his discourse on being the bread of life but he begins by rebuking them for not believing in him he says you you didn't look at the miracle you just looked at the bread and you partook of the bread but you missed you missed everything you didn't look beyond the physical you didn't look beyond the external aspect of the bread to the, to the spiritual satisfaction from the food that gives everlasting life. And Jesus begins to tell them, I am the bread of life. So we learn that one must come to him in faith, believing that he is. Both Jew and Gentile must come to him by faith. That's that great lesson that we're learning on Wednesday nights from the book of Habakkuk, The the, the lesson from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. So as Jesus is speaking to this crowd, another group seems to either appear or at least they make their presence known. And that would be those that we would call the religious Jews. For in verse 41 it says, The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said unto him, Murmur not among yourselves, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. There's something that we need to take note of as we begin to look at this passage. And it involves a principle that actually runs throughout all of Scripture. A principle that runs throughout all of Scripture. If, if someone came to Jesus openly and they came to Him honestly, seeking to know the truth, the Lord would make that truth as simple as possible so that the person seeking could understand. On the other hand, If Jesus presented something that was difficult for the natural mind to understand and to receive, and a person or persons, instead of recognizing their their need sincerely for an explanation, assumed a more unbelieving, even more arrogant attitude, Jesus would seemingly make the truth more difficult instead of simpler. And again, that principle is seen throughout Scripture. Take, for example, Pharaoh and the children of Israel and Moses. Pharaoh, who set himself against doing the will of God when God sent Moses back into Egypt as their deliverer. For Moses to be before Pharaoh say, Let my people go. And Pharaoh would not. And even after all of the signs and wonders that would take place, What do we know about that whole exchange but that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? That's the principle. And then there's another example when the children of Israel themselves chose to follow the path of disobedience and rebellion. And not just one time. A number of times. But when they chose to follow the path of disobedience and rebellion the Lord would respond to that disobedience and rebellion. For example, in Isaiah 66, verse 4, it says, this is, these are the words of the Lord to his own people. He says, I also will choose their delusions. The things that will deceive them eventually. I will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them because when I called, none did answer. And when I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. That's the example of this particular principle. And then when we we look to a time that is yet to come, a time in the future, the time of the rise of Antichrist, that last menacing enemy of God and man, there's something that we are told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if we begin in verse 9, here Paul says, speaking of the Antichrist, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And by the way, this time isn't very, very far from, this, from now. You all do understand that. So he says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. They shut themselves off from the truth. That they might be saved. But then look at the next verse, verse 11. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Literally, that is that they should believe the lie. You know what the lie is? The lie that goes all the way back to the garden in chapter three. Did God really say? The serpent to Eve, did God really say? That they all might be damned or judged who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why is this important to our study in John chapter 6? Because you see, this principle will be seen throughout the rest of this chapter, so we need to be aware of it. Listen, if you've already read down to the end of this this particular chapter of Scripture, you begin to realize that Jesus starts saying things that they just not only don't understand, but they're so hard that that they, they actually walk away from Jesus. And I'm not giving anything away if I tell you that the only ones that remained were the disciples. So that's that principle. It begins with the murmuring Jews who either have been following Jesus throughout his itinerant ministry from, from Galilee to Jerusalem and back or had arrived in time for Jesus' discourse on him being the bread of life from heaven when they finally heard these words. Either way, this statement clearly uh, and certainly caught their attention. The statement in verse 41 that they themselves were responding to, it says, The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Do you notice it says that they murmured at him? And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven. It's you know you know what's bad enough? It's, it's bad enough when people murmur about you, right? None of us really like that. It's bad enough when people murmur about you, but here we're told that these religious Jews murmured at Jesus while not speaking to him directly. They're just murmuring, murmuring, murmuring at Jesus. You ever you ever seen where people do things Thinking, you know, they do it just loud enough to to know that you're going to hear them, but they don't want to act as if they're telling you. It's kind of cowardice, but many of you you all understand what's going on here. That's kind of the picture here. And 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 the use of the word murmured here, the, the word in the Greek is gonguzo. Uh, it, interestingly enough, this word murmured uh, in this uh, word is, is the same word used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which is called the Septuagint. But it's, it's used in this uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures for the murmuring of the children of Israel in the wilderness, mostly found in Exodus 16. And it's found there because of their their lack of bread. In other words, they were murmuring and complaining to God that, that He had brought them out into the wilderness to die and because He wasn't feeding them. Or they didn't have bread to eat. Now this is an interesting thing. Because it certainly ties to our story here in John chapter 6 about the feeding of the 5,000. And everything that comes out of that to let us know that Jesus uses this opportunity to say, I am the bread of life. But there in Exodus chapters 15 and 16, there's something interesting about this word being used, this word gonguzo in the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of Hebrew Scriptures. It's only used once in chapter 15 of Exodus. And, and the reason it's used there, it, it's, it's really, really sad because the beginning of chapter 15, there is this song that is sung in praise to God for delivering them from the, from the armies of, of, uh, of Pharaoh. And if you remember in the previous chapter, uh, the children of Israel have been let, uh, let loose in, you know, in the exodus of, of, of Egypt and they're on their way and they, they arrive at the Red Sea and and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden they think, oh no, we're out here, we're going to die and the armies of, of Pharaoh are coming and chasing after them and this is the time that uh, you know, Moses raises his, his staff and the sea opens up because God opens up the sea for them and they, and they walk to the other side and then you know, Moses, I should say, uh, Pharaoh's armies come and, and they on their way to defeat and to kill and to destroy all of the children of Israel, but then they get destroyed by the waters falling back onto them. And, and so they sing this song of victory. They, they call it the song of Moses, as it were. And, and uh, so they're rejoicing. Until when? Just a few verses later in the same chapter. When they're on their, uh, on their journey and they need water, and they say, Oh, no, we've been, we, you know, we don't have any water. And they murmur. And what does God do? He gives them water. So one time the word is used for murmur there in chapter 15. In chapter 16, the word is used eight times. And it's used eight times, mostly by God reminding them that all they did was murmur because he brought them out to the wilderness to die because they have no bread whatsoever. And what is it that God does? He provides for them manna from heaven. You see, you see the comparison now. Jesus is the bread from heaven. But they're murmuring. And the Jews were murmuring at Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came from heaven. And the word itself here is used for buzzing discontent that is arising from a crowd that is upset and confused. That is, they are misunderstanding Jesus. Therefore, because of their misunderstanding, they're rejecting Jesus. And because they're rejecting Jesus, they're in opposition to Jesus and what he's saying. And so they radically disagreed with Jesus' claim that he had come down from heaven. In effect, what they were saying was, hey, wait a minute, we know this guy. And we know his parents as well. He's the son of Joseph, the carpenter. How can he say that he came down from heaven? Now understand that the assumption that that Joseph was Jesus' father more than likely fueled the gossip that that he was born an illegitimate child, even though we know he wasn't. We knew all along that he was born of the Holy Spirit, and Joseph was only his stepfather. We got way beyond all of that stuff, right, early on. But it prompted them all the more to regard Jesus' claim as pretentious, as fake, and especially blasphemous. Obviously, they were ignorant of something. They were ignorant of the incarnation. They were ignorant of the word, the, the Hebrew scriptures. They were ignorant of the word that said their Messiah was going to come. And, and, and in all of the signs, in all of the prophecies, that the Messiah was going to come was very clear to them. Did they miss it? Of course they did. What did they miss? Isaiah chapter 7, where it says that, he, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Chapter 9, that he was going to be the light in the area of, of uh, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. The area of Nazareth. A light has come. The people who walked in darkness shall see a great light. Or later on in chapter nine, where it says, "It says unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." Oh, and we miss going back to verse uh, to, to, to the verse in, in chapter seven, where it calls him his name Emmanuel, God with us. They must have missed that that that, that 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 prophecy in the book of Micah, where it tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem, Beit lechem, What is that? The house of bread. They were ignorant of the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah to his own people. They were so fixed on his origin that they lost sight of the Messiah's mission. And what was the mission of the Messiah from the very beginning? It was to save and to give life. How many times has Jesus already said in in, in this chapter in the previous chapter that he was the only one that can give life? Making it very clear who he is. And then he shows who he is by feeding and nourishing men. Using physical bread to show that he actually came to give spiritual bread. Spiritual bread for spiritual life that will last forever. But there was this disregard for the message of the word of God which they should have known. Especially what had been proclaimed by John the baptizer. And it is John the Apostle in the very first chapter of this gospel that we're studying where we see the words, the Word being the Logos, speaking of Jesus, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But then John says, John the baptizer, the baptist, bear witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, it says, no man has seen God at any time. Look at the connection with our text today in chapter six. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. And again, this brings us back to chapter 6, but it brings us back more specifically to the matter of the Father, which was actually the profounder reason that the Jews resented the claims of Christ. It wasn't that Jesus just said that He was the bread of life, but that He came from heaven, from the Father. That was the most blasphemous thing to them. But immediately in verse 43, Jesus does something. He he answered them and he said unto them, this was a command. By the way, this was not a suggestion. It was a command from Jesus. He said to them, murmur not among yourselves. Quit murmuring. And then he says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. Now again, what is Jesus doing? And how is he doing it? He mentions the Father. He knows exactly what's what's pushing these guys' buttons. He mentions the Father. And every time he mentions it, they become more angry. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets... And they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh unto me. Then, not that any man has seen the Father. What was it that John wrote back in chapter 1? You see the connection. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. So in this particular statement, Jesus is picking up actually where he had left off in what he was telling his disciples and the crowd and repeated it for the benefit of the larger crowd that now included these highly suspicious and critical religionists. Now first of all, he commanded them not to murmur among themselves, but there was a good reason. It was to give them the opportunity to listen to the truth if they were willing to listen. See, I don't know who's here willing to listen today. I would hope that most of you, if not all of you, are willing to listen. But you're listening. Some of you may just be hearing. You hear a sound, my voice. But are you listening to what I'm saying? And are you willing to listen to the truths that God has for you? So think of Jesus in this particular situation. That he's giving them the opportunity to listen. If they're willing to listen. So this was an act of love and a care for them. But getting to the principle that I stated earlier, the more that they objected to what Jesus said, the more obscure and unclear his words became. Today we'll see a little bit of that. We'll see a lot more as we move on. But Jesus went on to explain how the sinner can come to God. Now please understand this. When I say the, the, the religious Jews, I'm not here to single them out, folks, I have great respect for the Jewish people. in fact, God wants us to love them. they, have, they, they are the ones that you know as, as a people from the very beginning have gone before us in this faith where we, wherein we stand. We wouldn't know about Jesus except that the word came to the Jewish people first. you understand? So with all due respect, what I'm saying here is this. That these religionists believed that because they were Jewish, that's all that mattered. Can you understand that? But the scriptures tell us one thing from the very beginning. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile. Jew and non-Jew. And there are plenty of non-Jews who believe that just because they are who they are, they, they don't need to change. They, you know, somehow they've made it themselves by, by their own, pulling up their own uh, bootstraps, as it were. Scriptures are very clear. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us born into sin from our mother's womb because of what happened in Genesis chapter three. So understand that what Jesus is saying is not just specifically to the Jew or specifically to the Gentile. He says this to explain how the sinner can come to God, both Jew and Gentile. He says, no man, that includes both. No man can come to me. Now folks, aren't you glad that there's not a period right there? No man can come to me, period. Ah, We're in trouble. Right? No man can come to me. Then what are we doing here at church? Thank the Lord there's a comma there. The next thought is so important. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him Whew. consider that man in and of himself is utterly hopeless and helpless he doesn't even have the strength to come to Jesus by himself and here is the big unless I love the big unless. If we don't have the big unless, we're in a lot of trouble. Unless what? Unless the Father first begins to work in a person's heart and life. If the Father does not begin to work in a person's heart and life, they're in trouble. He will never realize his terrible guilt and his need of a Savior. That was our problem. That was our need. That was us in our hopelessness and in our helplessness. We we didn't think that we were that bad. Right? I'm not that bad. Besides, I'll just do my best in my life, you know, to, to do all the good things so that all my good works will outweigh my bad works. Because let's face it, we're human. We'll have a few bad works, but you know, if we outweigh those with a lot of good things, we're doing pretty good. And the Lord says, what? <laughs> what kind of thinking is that? That's worldly thinking. I want to break it down to an even greater uh, foundation. It's demonic thinking. Morning. The moment that the Lord opened our eyes to who we are, what we were, sinners, and we bore a, t- a tremendous amount of guilt for that, that moment that we saw what we were, and we responded first and foremost by saying, you know what I need? I need a Savior. Now we were ready to listen. Now we were ready to respond. But you know, there's some people who have a real difficulty with this verse because they, they suppose that it teaches that a man may desire to be saved and yet might, might find it impossible, but this is not so. The, the passage does teach in the strongest possible way that God is the one who first acted in our lives and sought to win us to himself. We do have the choice of accepting the truth of the Lord Jesus or refusing Him. We have that choice. But we never would have had the desire in the first place if God had not spoken to our hearts. Is this not true? And then the next phrase, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The expression at the last day, by the way, is found only in the Gospel of John three times in this chapter, once in chapter 11 and once in chapter 12. And, and it just really, and when we get there, we'll see that this really refers to the coming of Christ for his saints. And when the dead will be raised and the living will be changed, it is a resurrection of believers only. You have to be a believer. And we'll come back to that. But as to the issue of the father drawing man, how does a sinner who doesn't have the strength to come to Christ come to God? How does a sinner who doesn't have the strength to come to Christ come to God? Well, we certainly can say that it is through the love of God. I mean, we would be right, wouldn't we? The love of God. The love of God is so compelling. The love of God is is so constraining. We know the love of God in one verse of Scripture. Although there are many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you were to go on to the next verse. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That's love, isn't it? And we wouldn't be wrong to say that is a pretty strong drawing card. And while this is very true that the drawing power of God is God's love, it is the context. And we have to stay true to the context that we have to be true. And, and, and that is, it is through the truth of God's word. This is the context that Jesus has given us. It is through God's word. Go back, if you will, to verses 45 and 46. It is written in the prophets, Jesus said. What did he just say? It is written in the prophets. What is that? That's the word of God. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all, or they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh unto me. What was it that Paul taught us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? He said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then in verse 46, he says, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. But it is that phrase, it is written in the prophets in verse 45. Because here Jesus quotes from Isaiah 54 verse 13. Very clearly we see uh, the, the words uh, in Isaiah 54 13. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. Listen, when, when you have received the, the, the teaching of the, of the word of God and you have accepted the truth of the word of God about Jesus Christ and what he did on your behalf, there's peace that you cannot explain in your life that you did not have before you came to Christ. Now, some believe that Jesus was also referring to Jeremiah 31, a passage there in verses 33 and 34 that I want to share with you this morning. And if you look and, and, and see, they're very long verses, but I'm going to break them down so you can see them. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. What is he putting in their inward parts? The law, which is what? His word. Why? As you read on in the same verse, it says, And write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then he says in verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You see what happens when we come to the Lord. Our sin is forgiven and our sin is no longer remembered. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's the context, you see. So understand that God not only simply chooses individuals, He does something about it. He speaks to the hearts through the teaching of His precious Word. And then man's own will is involved. Those who respond to the teaching of God's Word and learn from the Father are the ones who come to Christ. Go back, if you will, to John chapter 5 for a moment. I just want to show... uh, one verse there that we studied a while back, but let's look at this one verse, and that's verse 24, where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, notice what he says, He that heareth my word, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, has everlasting life. I want want to emphasize hath there, because that is, Present tense has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Why do I share this? Because here again we see the two great truths of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility placed side by side in the scriptures. God's sovereign, we're responsible, we respond. And lastly, Consider the words of of verse 46 of our text when he says, not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. The fact that people are taught by God doesn't mean that they have seen him with their own eyes. We will see him one day. Let's remember that. But the only one who has seen the Father is the one who came from the Father, namely the Lord Jesus himself. And all those who are taught by God the Father are taught about the Lord Jesus Christ because God's teaching has Christ himself as its grand subject. Now you think, when you read from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books of the Bible, the main focus is Jesus Christ. Though his name might not be mentioned, the Messiah is the grand subject beginning to end how can he not be the Bible tells us he was the creator of heaven and earth and in closing consider these verses of Christ's own words in the next chapter chapter 7 let's just kind of go ahead a, a little bit and look at verse 16 and 17. we're going to close with this. It says, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but it's his that sent me. My doctrine, my teaching, is really not mine. It's his that sent me. It's the Father's. I'm being obedient to the Father. And then he says, if any man will do his will, if any man will do his will, just believe, trust the word, and do what the word says. If any man will do his will, He shall know of the doctrine, he shall know the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And all that Jesus is saying here very simply is, listen, understand, the Father has sent me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Father has sent me. I was obedient to come. The scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It's not that he didn't understand or didn't know, but it is a lesson for us to realize that Jesus was obedient so that we could adopt the same heart to be obedient to the word of God. God has called us to be obedient and to do the will because this certainly makes it clear that we have heard, And that we have believed. And we show our faith by our actions. Read the book of James. So, as we close today, this this was just the teaser for the next time. Just getting us started but as we close today, I think back to those baskets, (laughs) the baskets of the disciples. Do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Do we know that he is the Christ? That he is the anointed one? Do we know that there is nothing too hard for him? And do we know that we are never to waste any of the gifts that he's given us? I'm here to remind you that God has given you great gifts. He's given you his word. He's given you his son. He's given you gifts and talents. Are you using them for the glory of God? for the glory of his kingdom? Are you using them for the name of Christ? Are you doing everything that the Lord has given you? Don't waste them. Don't waste them because you see, the Lord can come at any moment for any of us. But we are close enough now to his return that he can come at any moment and take us all home. But I don't want anybody to be left behind. Which means we all need to be ready. There's no time anymore to waste. See, God has given us time also. The timeless God has given us time. But that time is rapidly running out. And I'm not saying these things to scare you, to try to sound dramatic. I'm telling you these things because I don't want any of you to miss the return of Jesus. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. You guys ready? That's exciting to me. We should be excited about that. Buck mentioned earlier, I can't remember who's in first service or, or a second service, but, but, he made, but he made reference to the statement of Jesus in Matthew 11 when he, when he said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's the invitation. Come unto me all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Have you come? It doesn't take much to come. We're not in some grand stadium where you're about 100 yards away, 20 furlongs away, 1,000 miles away. You're here right now. Come. Not to me, not to this church. You come to Jesus. Because he's alive, and he's here, and his spirit is here. Before you leave today, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God just comes down upon your heart and reveals to you what you need to see and what you need to do. Shall we pray?